The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. In today's sermon, Elder Tom Corley preaches from Revelation chapter 20 regarding the great white throne judgment. In many pulpits, we hear that one day we will have to stand before this judgment seat and account for every sin that we've committed and that our eternal destiny depends on whether we have done more good works than bad works on that day. But is that really true? Well, praise God, in this message, we learn that we will never stand before that judgment seat because all of our sins have been judged in Christ. Please join us today for this powerful message by Elder Tom Corley entitled, Judged in Christ. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
this morning I was listening to Brother Chris preach and he mentioned something about a guy he knew that believed that our righteous works had to outweigh our unrighteous, you know, and it stirred me up. <laughs> it lit a fire on me. <laughs> and my family's thankful you caught on me to preach tonight because they were supposed to get three hours of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you know, when we look at that, I've heard that ever since I was a young man. And I can go, you know, I'm, I'm like Paul. I can trace my lineage back through the Primitive Baptist all the way through until, I guess, my family came here to the country. <laughs> it, you know, which doesn't mean anything, but it matters what we believe today. But I've always heard that, you know, you have to, you have to live a good life and your good has to outweigh the bad or your righteous has to outweigh your unrighteous. And they derive that from the scriptures in Revelations. And we'll look at that in, in chapter 20 and we're going to look at verses 11 through 15 because this is where this comes from. If you read it and you just stopped with that, it's a little bit gloomy. But there's more to the picture. You have to put it all together. The scriptures paint a picture when you put them together. And it's a beautiful picture. So let's look at this. And he says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, Stand before God. And the books, pay attention to that, there's a plural there on those books, were opened. And another book, so there's many books here, and then there's a book, and that's the book, <laughs> was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So if I stop there, you would think, well, you know, well, there may be something to that. But there's not. There's a lot more to the scriptures here. But it says the dead was called from everywhere, all over before God. And it says they're judged out of the books according to their works. Well, I can tell you this. When Adam sinned, Everybody that has ever been born or will be born was judged a sinner in the books. <laughs> when Adam sinned, it doesn't matter about how you live your life, good or bad, at that point you're a sinner. Amen. So let's look and see why we don't believe that it's up to us to do that. Because, you know, it's not like we as primitive Baptists have the secret cheat sheet. You know, in schools, you know, we'd have gave anything to have the final exam answers, wouldn't we? <laughs> well, we don't have the final, we have the final exam answers. It was Christ. <laughs> but we don't have a cheat sheet that tells us, oh, well, I know how to beat this. And I know how to get up to the threshold there that God requires. Guess what? It doesn't matter how many of us come together. We can't make it to that threshold. <laughs> We can't. So let's start off. Let's flip over to Colossians. And in Colossians chapter 2, we get a lot of insight to this. And we'll start off with verse 13 here. And this goes along with what he preached this morning. It says, And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, so that's talking to people, but this is talking to children of God because of this next statement. It says, have he quickened together 
So we're made alive together with Him. We're made alive together with Christ. But having forgiven you all trespasses. So He's forgiven all of our trespasses. We know that. The Old Testament tells us. David told us. That, that Christ would come and he would separate our sins as far as the east is from the west. Go east and keep chasing it. You'll never find the end of east. You'll come back, you'll just keep going around. You'll, you'll track that same track, but if you just took off east, you'll never, on this earth, you'll always go east. I mean, north and south, you can go north and then you're going to go south on the other side. But east, you're going to go east and west, you're going to go west. But look at verse 14. Look at what it says. Blotting out. What happens when something's blotted out? And I want you to go with me here for a minute, though. You think about those books and the works. Think about my Savior, Christ. When that blood was dripping off him, when that blood was pouring out of him, it blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. It blotted it out. So now we have a lot more of the picture, don't we? So when the books are open, when it comes to a child of God, what happens? It's a bloody page. There's no writing against it. It's blotted out. And it was against us, which was contrary to us. And he took it out of the way. So what did he do with it? He nailed it to his cross. So guess what? What they're talking about in the end times, us being judged out of books, those books was nailed to the cross. It's done. The judgment is done. You know when that judgment was? When Christ was hanging between heaven and earth and the lights went out, it was between him and God and God judged that, that, that man Christ for three hours in darkness. It was between them two. It wasn't for man to see. It wasn't for anybody else to see. The judgment took place. Christ sat there and he took the judgment from me. He took what was written against me in those books. Everything that I'd already sinned was written in those books and Christ took it and was judged for it. And having spoiled the principalities and powers and he made a show of them openly triumphing over them. So he says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. He says, don't let any man judge you on those things. He says, Christ has fulfilled that. Christ put that away. Christ gave us liberty now to freely and openly serve him without the worry, without the worry of our nature. So they derive that from that scripture in Revelations. But guess what? You can't be judged for what Christ has already been judged for. Even our our laws of our country are are designed after that. We have laws. It's called double jeopardy. I can't be tried twice for the same crime. Christ has stood in my place. And he stood there and he said, I'm going to take your place. How many times have you ever went to a courtroom and seen a stranger stand up and say, hey, I want to take his punishment? Especially a man that's condemned to death. Have you ever seen one on death row, somebody else step in and say, I want to die for him? 
You won't see it. Christ said, I'm going to die for you and you and you and I'm going to take your place. And I'm going to make you free to worship God. That law had us bound. When you sinned, you died. Certain sins. Certain sins, you could, you could make sacrifice, but an animal had to die. Something had to die. When there was sin committed, there was death. Always followed. So when Christ came, Christ said, that's the end of the death for sin. I fulfilled it. Okay, so says that God will judge us. Let's flip over to Romans chapter 8. We got to get that on a good sermon, don't we? <laughs> Not saying that it's good, but you know, anytime we preach about Christ, it's good. But in Romans 8, and we're going to just pull from 33, but I'm going to read at 31. He says, what shall we then say to these things? There's just some homework. Go read the first part. You all should know it. <laughs> if God be for us, who can be against us? And how do we know God is for us? Because he told us he's for us. If you've never felt it in your heart, then you don't know God. A lot of people will tell you, that you know, you, you'll hear people in the world talk about, hey, just listen to your conscience. Let's be real. We don't have a conscience. We have the Spirit of God in us telling us what to do. Your nature tells you do what you want to do. Do what feels good. Do what, what makes you happy at the time. The Spirit of God in you says, no, do this. Do it right. Come to church. Worship me. Follow me. Read my word. Pray. Help each other. But he says, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? So if we had to stand before God in a judgment thing, it would make God a liar. Because God does not require us to stand before him and him sitting as a judge. God is not our judge anymore. He judged Christ. God is now our father. So who, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justified. Look at that. God is the one that made the law. God's the one that was offended, but God's also the one that is justified. But God's, the, the offense was so great that no man could, 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 could satisfy the judgment of God. So God says, I've got to send my only son. My only begotten son. He, God had to come in the flesh. Flesh sinned against God. Flesh had to make it right with God. But it took God in the flesh. What a God. And when we look at that, when they talk about you have to do this or do that, the people are being scared into doing it. God doesn't scare us into doing anything. Now I do fear my God but that's a fear that I'm not afraid to come here and worship him. I'm not afraid. I know how holy and righteous he is and I know how evil I am. And I have a great respect and fear of him. But I'm not afraid to come here and meet with God. On the contrary, I came here tonight expecting God to meet with me. God, Because he told me that he would. And when God tells me he's going to do something, I can put a lot of stock in that. 
I have a lot of confidence in that. And when God says where two or three's met together, I'll be there in the middle of you. Well, guess what? We have more than two or three, but I'm going to tell you this. Well, we all carry the Spirit with us, so of course He's going to be here. Now, He does come in power when we're met together. But you know what? When the child says, it don't really matter. We'll have plenty of people there. Part of that Spirit's not there because you're a part of that church. You're a part of that congregation, and it's needed. It's like I said this morning. Play that game of Jenga. Don't play it with your church, though. When you start pulling them blocks out, boy, that tower starts getting getting a little unstable. That's what happens when members say, well, I'm not important. Or, you know, it it doesn't matter if I go. There's plenty of people there. Start pulling enough of the blocks out and the whole thing falls. But he says, who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justified. So who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Well, I read a story back in Job about God. said, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Satan was like, yeah, I considered him, but I can't touch him. You won't let me. That gives me great confidence. Gives me great confidence that God has the power over Satan. I know he does, but he gives us a real picture of it. He says, I can't touch him. You put a hedge about him. And then God said, okay, I'll release some of that hedge and you can try. And Satan does. He take, God allows Satan to try him and run him through that sifter and there wasn't much left. His wife told him to curse God and die. His friends turned on him. His family was gone. He lost everything he had. But if you read in there, Job was a little bit uh, haughty. <laughs> Job was a little haughty, and Job had a lesson to learn by God. Because Job still asked, God, if you'll just come meet with me, I want to talk to you. Be careful. Because when he showed up, Job put his hand over his mouth, and he wanted to find a rock to crawl under, but there wasn't one. And God demanded, you stand up like a man and you speak to me. And Job said, no, I can't. So be careful with that. And be careful when you play with God's word. I mean, people play with it. There's an ulterior motive to telling people your good has to outweigh your bad. They're trying to scare people into church. I don't want to scare you. It's just like we heard. God don't have anybody kicking and screaming, getting drugged to heaven. Everybody that's there wants to be there. Everybody that knows this sweet gospel and knows Christ, they want to be at church. Why? Because this is the taste of heaven. Y'all may not let me come back, Brother Chris, but I'm going to tell you this. If you don't like this church meeting, you're not going to like heaven. You are not going to like heaven because heaven is a continual worship of our God. But you know what's so good about it? I know I'm getting off track, but I won't be tired. I won't have my mind wandering. I won't have to look around to see if anybody sees that I'm nodding off or if I'm, or, you know, did, did, is my tie straight or, did, you know, I, God forbid I, I hadn't had my hair cut in too long, you know. I mean, <laughs> you know, we don't have to worry about things. And, you know, it's Sunday evening. Well, thank God, we don't, most of us don't have to work tomorrow. It's a holiday, but, you know, we don't have to say, well, I got to drive three and a half hours and I'll have to get up and go to work tomorrow means nothing 
in the service of God, every time I've sacrificed to serve God, He's blessed me a hundredfold. But anyway, we'll get back to this. So, if no one can lay anything to the charge of God's elect, just reading that one scripture there should satisfy it. So then he asked the question though, who is he that condemneth? So who is it that has the power to condemn? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Look at how Paul just tied all this together through, through, through his, his, the inspiration. Not only does he say, and who condemns, it says, well, Christ died for you. But not only did he die, he rose again as God said he would rise. He had the power over death. Not only that, when he returned to God, it says he's there continually forevermore making intercession for us until he returns. So, when does the judgment take place? There is a judgment. It takes place every day of your life. You ever made a bad decision and bad things happen? Guess what? You, you, that was a judgment. <laughs> was it God directly being involved or was it just my ignorance? Most of it's my ignorance. And there's consequences for my ignorance. <laughs> and you, it, it, it's just a wonderful thing that we can see that Christ is making intercession for us. Christ can say, I personally know. You know, God judged Christ for all the elect's sake. That must have been a lot of people that Christ was answering for, taking the judgment for. Because he had to be judged for every sin that was committed. So it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall? And then he goes in and says, shall your tribulations? No, we can say that. What about our distresses? I get distressed sometimes. We have to make some hard decisions in life. We get distressed. Can my distress come between me and what Christ has done for me? No. What about persecution? We, we, you can read about when Christians were persecuted. We always like to read about the ones that stood strong. That gives us great hope. But what about the ones that failed in that and went ahead and succumbed to that persecution and said they denied Christ when they didn't? That can't separate them from the love of Christ. Christ's work is not hinged on our inability. Christ's work is not hinged on our weaknesses. If it was, we would all go to hell. Because if it was left up to me to do any one part, I would mess it up. I would mess it up because that's a valuable piece, isn't it? What happens if it was left up to us and we had that, literally had that inheritance in our hand and it was ours. We just have to keep the ticket. When one of our kids gets sick, we'd give it to them. Or we would sell it. Or we would give it away, but it's not up to us. So, what about famine, nakedness, or peril, or sword? And then, you know, we read the rest of this. We're going to be, we're, we're, 
a sheep going to the slaughter. We're, we're going to be tried. We're going to be this. And he says that, you know, in all these things that we go through, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us through Christ. But, but look at this part. For I am persuaded that neither death, so death can't separate us. But look at that next one, nor life. A lot of people that believe close to us like to skip over that word life right there. Because they think that if you just decided, I'm done, I'm through, I'm walking off. I don't see you'll be the most miserable person in the world if you're fighting against Christ. <laughs> but if you walk off, <laughs> you can't change what Christ has done. But I don't recommend that because fighting against Christ is miserable. <laughs> and your life will be miserable. But nothing you can do in life. So you can take that life and you can say, I would love to stand before you and say if we were persecuted, if we lived in a country as China where the Christians are killed for worshiping him, if the military came in here and held a gun to one of my kids' heads and says you deny Christ or I'm shooting them, I want to stand here and tell you that I would not, but I can't, I, I don't know. I'm not in that situation. I would love to tell you, no, I'll stand strong for him no matter what. But it doesn't matter. As far as me going to heaven, whether I do it or stand. Now, I'll be miserable. If I denied him and I saved my child, I'd still be miserable because I denied my Lord and Savior. But that can't separate it. Praise God, because we make the wrong decisions at wrong times. And think about the angels. He says the angels can't even separate us. You read about the power of the angels? The one angel slew thousands with this one swipe of his sword. One swipe, just thousands are gone. And he says, they don't have the power. What about the principalities? There's some strong powers in this world, isn't there? Satan's a strong power. But guess what? He's limited. Amen. God can stop him anytime he gets ready. And it doesn't matter. It says nothing present, nothing in the past, nothing to come. Nothing can separate us. There's nothing. So when we look over there at that in Revelations, it tells us, That every man was judged according to their works. But I'll never stand before that judge because Christ did. Amen. I'll never have to stand before that judge. God the Father as a judge. I'll never stand before him as a judge because Christ stood before him as the judge. And then it says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So that book of life, everyone that Christ was judged for on that cross is written in that book. You ever heard of the free pass? That's the free pass. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't even want it. And Christ gave it to you. And we can look at that. 
Over in 1 Thessalonians, I know Brother Chris has been threatening to preach that now all weekend. <laughs> I don't know what part, but we're going to look at chapter 4. <laughs> and that's talking about Christ returning. Because that gives us a little bit of insight about what happens. And when we put the whole puzzle together, oh, what a beautiful picture for us. Because this changes. This doesn't change. The scripture is not contrary to it. But when we put the whole puzzle together, the judgment is already taking place. Now let's see what actually truly happens in the end. The judgment has already been taking place. When the world ends... A lot of people think that God's going to come in. He's going to get, there's going to be a divide. And I don't know, I guess he's going to have a throne set up somewhere. And then he's going to start judging. The judgment took place on the cross. Everybody's been judged. Elect and non-elect have already been separated and judged. There is no more judgment on that as far as the end. That took place on the cross. When Christ died for his that was the final stamp and sealing on that. The, the covenant of grace had already taken place. Everyone was placed in Christ, but Christ had finished the work of it. That's why he said it's finished. He finished that work and he took the judgment and all of those are safe. They've been judged and then the others will be cast into the lake of fire. They're going to be cast but they're not going to have to stand before God and tell him, well, you know, I, I did do some good. They're just going to be cast. Okay, so let's look in chapter 4, verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians. And he says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. If you want to know who that's talking about, walk out back and look. <laughs> that, those are all, they're not sleeping out there. They're, they are the dead, but he's, he's calling them as asleep. It's like this afternoon, I took a nice nap. When I went to sleep... I thought I'd been asleep for about five minutes, but it had been a couple of hours. <laughs> That's the way it's going to be when they, when they wake up when Christ returns. They, they're not going to remember that they've been dead for three, four, five hundred years. It's going to be as if they lay down and woke up. They're dead. But that's who he's talking about. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... And I, and I believe everybody here believes that, that he died and he rose again. Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So the ones that have died, the ones that souls are with Jesus, he's going to bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So we can't prevent the ones that's already died. <laughs> For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Oh, what a day. When Christ screams that shout of victory. It's going to be the best shout, the best victory cry you've ever heard. You know, a lot of us, we go to games, our team wins, we shout in victory. This one is going to be the true victory shout. With the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So when Christ comes and he's in the air there in the sky and all those saints are with him and that trumpet blows, all of these, are going to, all these bodies are going to come out of the ground. 
And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. He's calling us up together. Now, I'm not going to argue with anybody, but I think we're going to be, that, that change will take place as we're going to Christ. <laughs> those, the, those that are dead here are going to be reunited with their bodies and they'll be changed. We're all going to be changed into our holy and righteous bodies. And it's to meet the Lord in the air. And when we meet Him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. At that point, we'll forever be with the Lord. And I'm going to just have to, you're just going to have to give me a little Christian liberty on this one, brothers. When He takes us and He gets everybody and everybody is righteous and holy and we're all in that that, that, that image of Christ as He is. He's going to take us to His Father. And He's going to say, Father, here they are. I've brought them home. It's done. And then He's going to tell us, hey, come and inherit this place that I've been preparing for you. Come to this new Jerusalem. Come. Without sin. Without worry. And guess what? We're not going to be sitting there going, I hope I've done just enough to make it. Amen. You know what? Everything we do is this filthy rags. It's no good. You can take all the good we want, and it's just as Paul said, all the sufferings of this life is not even worthy to be compared to the glory which is going to be revealed. And it's all the good you've done in this life is not worthy to be put on the scale because Christ is the bar. And I cannot live as Christ lived and I'll never pretend to live as Christ lived. But oh, I want to strive to walk in His footsteps. Amen. You know, when I was little, I used to love to walk in my father's footsteps. I thought he was my hero. <laughs> he was strong. He was the man, you know. Your granddad's was that way. Your dad, Christ is our hero. Let's walk in his steps. Amen. And what did he tell us? To love one another. Serve me. Follow me. That's why people look at us crazy when we have our ordinances of the church and we have our communion. We remember Christ and then we take part of that foot washing service. You know why we do that? That's as close to the footsteps of Christ as we can get in this life. When we bow down and we say, I'm going to serve somebody. And you know, a lot of the Christian world's watered that down and they said, well, oh, well, I can wash your feet, Brother Chris. I can just take you home if you need a ride home. Or I can give you some food if you need food. Not the same. Never will be the same. When you humble yourself enough to bow down and say, I want to be as low as I can get. You're so much better than me. The hard part with us, we know the truth, is sitting there allowing it. When you get to that state of mind, you've got it. You got something figured out. We'll never have it figured out until we're in heaven, but you have something figured out. Oh, what a joy it is. What a joy. I don't have to be scared to come here and say, did I, did I sin this afternoon? Am I, did I sin too much to come back to, to the house of God? God told me in Hebrews, I can boldly enter. 
that boldly, I don't do it arrogantly, but that means that I can come here and I can meet with this holy God without fear of him judging and striking me dead for my sins. Because in God's eyes, as far as our place in heaven, we're already righteous. We're already holy as far as our place in heaven. We still have our nature with us. That's why we die and we separate from our sin. The body's sinful. And that's why we have to die and separate from it. But oh, when Christ returns <laughs> and he changes us and we get to see what we live for. It'll make it all worthwhile. All the sacrifices we gave. Sometimes we feel like, you know, I just give it all and I don't give anything. I don't get anything. If you come with that attitude, you're never going to get anything. Don't come to church saying, what can I get? Come to church and say, what can I contribute? Amen. What about the one that's just sitting here that's had a bad week and you smile at them and it just turns their life around? Just smiling. It's all about, and we don't want credit for it. That's what I love about the old Baptists. We don't go around trying to take praises or credits for how good we are. We, we think that we're the, the least, we're, we're less than the least. The only thing we claim is Christ and Him crucified and risen for my sins. So just remember that. Don't let anybody judge you in the service of Christ here. Our service is the most simplest, basic worship. We don't have to bring anything to make the body feel good about serving. You know, that's what happens when you start bringing in a lot of different things. If we had a band up here, don't get me wrong, I like to listen to music. I like to listen to people play. But I don't want to do it in my service to God. Because that appeals to my flesh. I want the spirit appealing. I want the spirit stirred. Like this morning when I'm sitting there and, and I hear something about God that stirs me. That's what I want to happen when I come to church. I want to be stirred up. And I want to know that I have the confidence that Christ finished that work and it's not up to me. And this is the privilege of Christ's work. It's my privilege to come here and be able to worship Him. And it's an honor. So let's just remember those things. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.